pickaxe. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to day four of One Life Left X GDC with Gama Sutra. My name is Steve Curran. Hello, I'm Simon Byron. I'm Anne Scanthbury. And I'm Chris Graft. Chris, how's it going? Oh, um, day 90 of GDC 2017 <laughs> is, yeah, it's, I'm starting to feel it. It's getting, like, I'm starting to feel the friction, the traction, the You weren't the on the show yesterday. You left us. I did, a little bit. Mm, um, you, you gave us Alex instead. Yeah. It went really well. He was very good, Alex. He was excellent. Very, very I, good. Oh, 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 so I have to follow up. I know all about Alex. I know Rachel about game. Alex. He's tall, yeah. handsome, handsome, from Northern European very, descent. Very good at radio. Yeah. Very good at Twitch. And he's beautiful. Very uh, he had a lovely pose as well on the sofa, which I yeah, feel... Yeah, probably like this, right? It, no, no, it was. And yeah, and I really was relaxed. Good. I really had no relaxed. idea how he would raise the microphone to his mouth, but, whilst that, but he did. I, yeah, I know, so I know Alex. We do a video game radio show back in London at GDC. We are doing a Twitch broadcast, which will also be uh, broadcast on Resonance FM as well. Um, and we've been joined by some excellent guests over the uh, last three days already. Uh, have you been pleased with them, Chris? Standard? Oh, with our guests? Yeah. Our guests have been, like, top-notch. Probably the best since GDC 2014. Right. And you that, ha- was, that was, that yeah. was, that was <laughs> like, a good, that was that a good was year. You have been keeping a record, haven't you? You, you keep records of GDCs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I keep it all up here. This Neil, one in particular is the coldest yeah. GDC on record. It is the coldest GDC yeah. on record. My hands are absolutely frigid and clammy. So we've got another... How many guests have we got today, Anne? Um... What's that, maths? <laughs> there's a few on there. I like how there's some ambiguity as well. It's and or. Well, yeah. There's an and or, so that's yeah. going to be uh, a treat. Yeah, well, it'll be a surprise. Uh, and if they both turn up, they can sit on each other's knees. 
When are you, when you're organising the guests? Yeah. Uh, do you have a strategy? What order you put them in? How you encourage them to pair up? That sort of thing. Um, it is largely due to their availability. I see. Yeah. So the guests themselves sort of see yeah. the thing and go, yeah, it strikes me as a sort of I could be an opening act. Yeah, we I have we have had a couple of people tone. say, oh, I saw that so and so was in that slot, so I went in with them. Right, I feel okay. like this is a meeting a meeting place in and of itself as well. Well, that's nice. So uh, joining us now are two people who were available. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. <laughs> Please introduce yourself. Uh, I'm Ryan James. I'm a lead editor at Naughty Dog. I'm Mike Jungluth. I'm lead animator at Volition. So what brings you to uh, GDC, Ryan? I had a talk about how Naughty Dog does the uh, performances in our games, not just in the cutscenes, but how we implement them throughout. Okay. Uh, you're, you're well known for your performances, aren't you? I think uh, everybody comments on how natural your your characters are and the, uh, the, um, the chemistry between them. What, what, what are those secrets? How do you do it? Well, you should have gone to the talk. But the short answer is a lot of time and effort making sure every single line times out. Like, you know, adding the pauses, adding the breaths, re-editing them to add a laugh on there, stuff like that. There's just a lot of OCD care taken when we implement everything. Are you measuring out your pauses, your laughs, your everything right now? Our dialogue scripters are. That was a, that was a good exchange, like, right there. <laughs> Is that, was, was that exchange Naughty Dog? Uh, Alex, like, Uncharted? Alex well, it had a little bit of overlap to it, too. You know, my line started a little while a before little yours bit, ended. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right about, right there, mm-hmm. where we overlapped. And when we were recording it, though, we'd have to record it separate so that they could overlap in 3D space, because otherwise you'd hear it in both ears. That sounds complicated. Why do video games just make everything so complicated? Interactivity. So your title is interesting, lead editor. What does that mean? Like, is that editor in sort of a filmic sense or editor in a script sense? It's basically try and make everything feel like an edited movie, even though it's completely interactive. So I do edit a lot of the cutscenes, but I'm also making sure that the stuff that plays back dynamically feels as if it was edited in the same way. What are the challenges uh, in doing that in games versus uh, cinema, for example? The player can ruin everything. <laughs> and, and we do, all the they, time. They can walk out of the room while people, two people are talking. They can get out of the Jeep and interrupt a conversation. They can do all sorts of stuff. And, so we have, and they can go too fast or too slow. And we don't want them to get bored. We want to keep the air filled. So we have to just kind of account for a lot of different play styles and possibilities and record lots of different branches. One of the most interesting challenges I think you've got is uh, if, if there's a dialogue, conversation that you're, as the player you're meant to hear... Uh, and the player is distracted and they move around. Now, on, on the one hand, you don't want to... Uh, you want to fade the audio, I assume, because you want the audio to be positional, to have that space. But on the other hand, you want the player to, you know, keep listening. How do you deal with something like that? Well, we usually... We play it right from the character as if they uh-huh. had, like, a voice box. So wherever the camera is, you'll hear it. And if you turn away and your surround system isn't very good, you're not going to hear it so good. So it does kind of force you to try yeah, and pay but attention. but doesn't that break your script, you know, as the sort of wannabe director of a movie and the player is is moving the camera around, like... They're changing the audio levels. Absolutely. It's why I said the player yeah. can ruin everything. <laughs> but at the same time, we want them to have the freedom to be able to do whatever they want uh, as much as possible. So we try to keep everything on the stick. Like, the people are dynamically talking. We only take control away when we absolutely have to. Okay. Um, so, uh, sorry, Mike. Yes. Yes. Uh, your title a little bit more uh, a little bit more straightforward. I know what an animator does. Uh, do you want to explain to our... I- Tell me, what does an animator do? <laughs> Make stuff move and pretty. Is that, is that, is that, yes, that's it. Is that yes, fair? That's, like, that's, well, you yeah. looked it up on Wikipedia. It's true. No, I mean, it's, uh, 
at like the the very core level, right? Yes, it's make this character move, um, but uh, that's sort of the uh, the how, right? Okay. So much about uh, animator is about the trying to convey the performance of a character, and the what is really, I think, what motivates a lot of animators. So. Uh, you know, it's always the, well, what are they thinking? What are we trying to communicate within their personality? And then with games specifically, it goes past that, but what's what's the player trying to communicate into the game? And what's the game then trying to communicate back to the player? And animation is one of those one of those sort of communication tools that, that lets that happen. So you're doing a session this year at GDC? Or yes. have you done it? I did it yesterday. You've done it. How did yeah. it go? Uh, it went pretty well. Okay. It was uh, so we have a new game from Volition coming out called uh, Agents of Mayhem. Um, it's a new IP. It's set kind of in the like uh, Saints Row universe, but uh, all new characters. And so getting to start from the very beginning of here's a name on a page with kind of a high level idea. What is that through visuals and style and gameplay and all of the stuff that goes into it? And how do we make sure it's connected and not kind of all over the place. Um, the name of your uh, session was Animating uh, an Agent of Mayhem Animation Boot Camp. What uh, made it a boot camp? So, uh, so actually, there were, I did two talks. Okay. Uh, so I did the Agents of Mayhem one, which was uh, yesterday, which was just about the game. I also uh, run and organize the Animation Boot Camp, which is on Monday, which has oh. a bunch of different talks. Um, so I had done, specifically there as part of the uh, micro talks that we started the day, and, and it was all about community, and I kind of talked about uh, the needs of creating an animation community where we can openly share and, and get past that how that we're always struggling with. So like you don't just have characters that look and feel stupid when they're walking or hitting walls and all of the stuff that people like to take really funny videos of how we messed up <laughs> and, uh, and get lots of views on it. Um, how do, can we share all that openly and you know one-to-one and get past the how so we all do it and start saying things with our characters that are interesting. How do you guys feel when you see those YouTube videos of your work being, you know, broken by players, the very players you're talking about? Depends on if we knew the issue was in there or we didn't. Okay, what are, what are the two answers? When we know, it's like, damn it, they found it. Yeah. <laughs> and when we don't, it's like, damn it, we didn't find it. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's always amazing. We Internally, you know, we save all those bugs and people think it's really funny. And it always ends to be the ones that are these animation bugs. Like, isn't this great? We should keep it. No, that's just broken. Right. Like, what? But it's funny. Let's put it in the game. No, please don't. Like, let's fix it. Just save a video of it. It has, it has become such a huge thing, though, people finding ways to glitch. That actually, I, I believe people are building them in in order to be to that uh, people on YouTube can create these videos. Certainly a game that seems to have embraced it recently is... Um, Hello Neighbor from Tiny Build, which is in early access at the moment. They've been giving out alphas that uh, feel deliberately broken. And I know uh, Dexter, my son, who's been watching it, I'm not sure he should, um, it, he knows every glitch that you can do in this. It's, oh, you can you get into the neighbor's basement and stuff. So have you been tempted just to, to, to even though you found them, to leave things in? Not for us, because uh, we're very OCD. Uh, but... I like that idea of releasing the alpha and letting people see how games are broken for a long time, letting people experience what it's like to be a game tester. That's kind of a cool idea. That's one thing that I actually think is really important um, 
I feel like that might be the one thing that can really like extremely drastically improve the relationship between a game developer and the player. You know, there's like the the anger about if something is changed in a game, like a bad update or something like that, or or like a bug. Um, I feel like if people knew how. Uh, difficult it is and how it's like a, kind of a freaking miracle that anything gets like <laughs> released um, if they understood the difficulty in actually making games uh, and it was demystified more then I think that there'd be more understanding and uh, you know even empathy like when uh, and not just look at these as just like products that were shot out the end of a factory and I think too it becomes one of those things of uh, as you're getting close to the end of the project and you're trying to wrap it up and you find these things, uh, if they're funny and they're not actually breaking the experience, right? Like, obviously, in, in Uncharted, if somebody starts, like, waving their arms like the tubely person in front of a, like, auto place, right? Like, probably going to mess your stuff up. Uh, in something like a Saints Row or Agents of Mayhem, if somebody starts running around in a circle screaming at the top of their lungs... Oh, that might actually that awesome. like it kind of kind of <laughs> yeah, right. That? So it's it's kind of understanding what that player experience is and where they might enjoy it and where it's just going to probably break things and and not be good. It's why it's nice you can patch things now, though. <laughs> uh, so what else are you guys doing at GDC? Do you have any other plans for the rest of the week? Uh, any talks you're hoping to go and see? I've just uh, I've been kind of skulking around a lot of the ones that are all kind of dialogue and narrative based, and there's been a lot of good stuff. Yeah, there's still uh, there's actually a, a good bit of animation talks this year, which has been great. Um, it's starting to like we have the big push at the beginning of the week with the boot camp, and then we did a, a Twitch stream for eight hours on Tuesday with just all new animation talks. Wow, this uh, one is going to be nine hours, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it, craft. I'll go back to Twitch. I'll record another hour. Just, uh, so it, it was like, ooh, and now I'm finally oh, talks are done. Everything is now. It's that hey, how do I get to see all the people I want to see that I haven't seen for a year uh, in the last day and a half? Uh, well, let's hope we don't all break and end up as YouTube videos <laughs> at the end of the week. Um, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back to GDC 2017. We are one life left with Gamma Sutra at GDC bursting onto Twitch for the first time so you can watch us live and see us in all our Thursday state. And I think if you've been following us this week, you'll see a slow decline yeah. in uh, skin tone yeah. <laughs> and enthusiasm. Luckily, we're very well lit this year. So right. That's good. Um, I think next year we want to be start we putting Vaseline on the lens, <laughs> exactly. like a little bit of soft exactly. focus. Uh, however, here to uh, bring, to refresh, I think the sofa, uh, Catherine Cross. Welcome. Thank you very much. Um, you've switched out, Chris. We've got Catherine in now. You're helping us today. It's an early substitution, isn't it? It's it is. You <laughs> set your team out. Like yeah. An initial, this is our strongest lineup, and yeah. then. Gets a little bit, Ooh. quarter of an hour into the into the game, and you're like, yeah. it's not working. It's not working. Rotate, rotate. How's your GDC been going? Quite well and extremely busy. I had the pleasure of previewing a couple of interesting games this year as well. Okay. So. Can you tell us about any of those? Uh, Inkle's new game, right. Heaven's Vault, looks absolutely fascinating. It's their first original IP, and uh, it's starting to develop a distinctive identity for itself. Basically, an adventure game where you play an intergalactic archaeologist with her robot colleague. Oh, right. Okay. Excellent. And what was the second one? Uh, 
I can't talk about it just yet, I'm afraid. Okay. But it's really cool, I promise. Cool games this year. That's, that's what's going to be big. Cool games. Uh, and it's not just Catherine who's joined us on the sofa. We've got two fantastic new guests. Hello, would you mind introducing yourselves, please? Oh, sure. Hi. Uh, I'm Rodri Broadbent. Uh, I run a small studio in South Wales called Deco Deco, but before that I worked on the Pixel Junk games in Kyoto, Japan, and on Star Fox Command for the DS. Right on. Um, uh, my name is Andrew uh, Maximoff. I work at Naughty Dog as a tech art lead. Excellent. Welcome. Uh, Rodri, you're the, you're the first guest we've had who's not done a talk. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so how have you been spending your GDC? Um, so far, I've been, well, doing meetings, but also... Um, I've been spending a lot of time on the Retro Gaming Preservation Society area in the expo where they have, I don't know if you've seen it, but they have the sort of precursor to Electroplankton from the DS, a rhythm action toy game made by Toshio Iwai, and it's completely blown my mind and nothing else matters, this whole GDC. <laughs> and this existed from you know, 20 years ago. It's a, a Super Nintendo mouse game in which you're constantly on the beat dropping and you move yourself between different hexagons and you have to con- you just to construct a, a tune and it's beautiful and amazing and so yeah, that was that. And was this a game that came out? No, it was never released. Right, they've got I see. the ROM and they've got a slightly unfinished version of it. Apparently, there's a more finished version that exists, but um, I'm going to do a lot to seek it out. Now. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if, if so. Part of preservation. I mean, obviously, I'm getting you to talk about someone else's job here, but uh, part of preservation is not just uh, finding these things, but also making sure they are uh, preserved, but also available to yeah. other people to play. Um, yeah, yeah it sounds great. interesting. Yeah, that was great. And then this morning I've been checking out um, eye tracking stuff, so like VR, okay. but with eye tracking as well, which is super interesting. Okay, okay, super cool. I'm a little terrified of eye tracking. I can understand why it's going to be important, particularly in VR. But I was playing around with eye tracking last year, and uh, I, it felt really, it felt like the game was being really nosy because I sort of just look at the bottom of the screen and go, "Oh, it would hide. I don't want you to know I'm looking there." Yeah, it knows where you're reading and everything, and anyone who's looking knows exactly. It feels very intrusive. Yeah, I agree. Okay. But it's also cool in terms of you being able to adapt a, a head tracking game to just using your eyes on a flat 2D screen. That's right. And there's, and there's talk about VR headsets, um, eye tracking in order to maximize uses of the pixels and all this sort yeah, of... Exactly, yeah. Um, so we're going to have to get used to this invasion of... Well, yeah. Further invasion of privacy. Perhaps so, yeah. I think I, we're going to simplify it though, right? It's basically anytime we get new technology, everyone goes, oh, let's throw it in there. You know, normal maps, everything shiny as hell and bumpy everywhere. But over, over time, we get used to it, we get acclimated. We, we, we start using it like movies use VFX now where you don't even know it most of the time. Right. So that's where we'll get. Fingers crossed. So how have you been spending your GDC, Andrew? Uh, busy, but, you know, a lot of fun. I uh, had the pleasure of spending a lot of time with my friends from Guerrilla who just shipped the game and just having all of these exciting conversations about how they've been building out, you know, the world of Horizon. And uh, it's been really interesting. Uh, uh, yeah, I, um, I've been seeing the reaction to Horizon and Zelda today. Uh, th- this week has been a really exciting week for games. PlayStation congratulated Nintendo via Twitter today, which I thought was really lovely. That's adorable. Isn't it? Cool. <laughs> what is it? Did Microsoft butt in? <laughs> um, actually, I think you'll find I congratulated you first. <laughs> uh, have you done a talk yet? Or are you, are you... I did... Uh... I did a talk at GDC. I, we also have a, an internal Sony conference, so I did two talks for that and then a panel at GDC also. And then there's one left, so I, I definitely look forward to wrap, wrapping it up. So you're doing the Art Direction Boot Camp? Yes, this is also a project that me and my friend Keith, uh, South Baller from Volition, have been running for a third year in a row. And it's really exciting seeing it sort of evolve every year. We get uh, a lot of people who are passionate about art direction to come in and talk and sort of get this knowledge 
and sharing, I guess, going on. And something that we really try to push with that is we wanted to make sure that we don't sort of redo the same art direction 101 every time. We actually encourage senior artists and art director to come uh, to come in with the problems and sort of the things that they worry about and, and share those with the room to see how we can sort of all together push that forward and try and elevate the, the medium. Well, because I guess in a studio you don't have that many people working on a single thing. So it's, and so you don't have someone to like uh, troubleshoot your problems with. And so it's nice to get everyone together and go like, I've been trying to fix this for months. And yes. someone goes, oh, dude, it's fine. You just, just hit that button over there. Well, kind of like that. Only like I've been trying to design this world for a decade. And it's like, yeah, dude, spend two years on this and you'll be better. We had uh, Ryan on uh, in the previous slots, also from Naughty Dog. Uh, he's lead editor and your lead artist. How do you two interact and who is, who is the actual lead? <laughs> well, it all depends, right? We have obviously different departments, a lot of different people making a game. And obviously where I mostly spend my time is with the artists and making sure that they have everything they need. They're, they see the goal clearly. They're empowered to move forward. They have all the tools. No one is holding them up. Uh, and then... Where I guess Ryan and I overlap most is we do a lot of sort of these uh, critique sessions when uh, we're about to ship something like a, a demo or a cutscene. So we all get into a big theater room and then we just start dissecting whatever we see. And we usually get a, like it's a 20, 30 people sort of group in there, everyone involved with working on that demo from the artist to the sound person. And then, yeah, just throwing ideas out of the screen and then sort of talking them over all together. How can we make this performance better, the visuals better, the lighting better, everything. Sounds too nice for my liking. <laughs> uh, Roger, you're, you're, you've got a small studio. Very small indeed, yeah, there's six of us in total. S- so you don't have uh, this kind of like, you know, a, a lead animator, a lead. Th- you sort no. of do a bit of everything. How That's does right. that... Well, uh, well, it plays into... Uh, well, we, I mean, the artist is mostly just doing art stuff, but yeah, the, the coders are a bit uh, on the design side and also have to do a lot of the production. Um, but I mean, it's... When this, the project is smaller as well, it's okay that everyone can be dabbling a bit more in every area. I think so. It, I guess it just would scale up. The, you know, when I work, when I worked at Q Games, obviously, we're much more specialised per um, yeah per role. But um, where we are now, we just basically, if something needs doing, we have to do it. So recently, like, I'm not really a coder by um, by training. I'm more of a coder by means to an end. And so this on this project, I'm doing a VR game, and I've had to learn all about all the crazy technologies that you need for VR. And so I've become sort of a, a graphics rendering coder as a result of actually actually doing it so it's fun in that regard everyone gets to learn new stuff on every project um do you find something like gdc a a good place to uh learn because you have to learn very quickly and you can come somewhere like this and you know go and see a lot of these uh talks and learn have you learned anything yet (laughs) (laughs) no it's inspiring for me gdc is always mostly it's about seeing other people doing stuff that just triggers a little thing in your mind and says i want to do that but with this on it you want to you just get this someone's doing something so cool you think well i've got to do something you know, like in that area. So you just it pushes you forwards. The thing about it is just that seeing everyone else trying so hard to make everything great makes you want to try hard to make things greater. And you've yeah, been showing off your game, haven't you? Sorry. Secretly, I have, and, I, and I'm not. Um, yeah, I'm not really supposed to be talking about it, but secretly, I'm showing off a VR 2D game, which is kind of intriguing. Wow. Okay. Like, so far, it seems. Yeah. What's it like? What's that moment like when you've been working on something for so long and then you show it to someone who comes at it completely cold? Uh, well, it's nerve-wracking, as yeah. I'm sure you can imagine. Um, but usually you've tried it with people who haven't seen it before, before, and so you've got a bit of confidence. But what's great is you, you get every person who tries it has a different experience of it and sees something that you possibly haven't seen. So you just get more and more information to go back and tweak and to tune to, to make it better. But when things work, it's, it's incredibly gratifying. Demoing a, a VR game must have its own challenges. We talked a bit yesterday. Uh, Brandon Sheffield talked us through how he just had an, the demo from hell and nothing had gone right. Right, yeah. 
Is that something that it's you're... totally possible? Well, firstly, it's difficult because of location. You have to have that all of that kit with you. Yeah, yeah. But also, yeah, I mean, some people just don't have the the stereo vision capacity that you expect people to have. So that if you've got a floating 3D cursor and they suddenly can't see where it is in space, then you have to somehow find a way to still make that demo work. So um, yeah, there are there are challenges. Okay, but it's gone well so, so far. So far, it's gone well. Yeah. Okay. Far, Excellent. Positive. Good. So the formal content of a conference is obviously always fascinating and useful from a professional perspective. And one of the things that I really love about events like GDC is all the informal mortar that holds everything together. And so like, what's been most useful for the two of you about coming here uh, for, from a social perspective? Uh, what is it that's not listed on the schedule that's been most useful for you and your careers? Uh, it's definitely the all the friendships that you make over the years, and the same thing with like Art Direction Bootcamp that we do every year. It just it's like a recurring group group of people where we get the speakers that were there first year, or second year, and they all come in, and we get this little reunion, you know, and we talk about it, and we go out for lunch, and we discuss all of the art and production problems, and sort of how we tackling it, what technology is going to do to it, and then uh, once again, there's like sort of concurrent Sony things that we're doing, so we're getting together with the Sony family, and. Uh, it's invaluable, obviously, obviously, for me, at least, it's the, the best thing. Because, you know, talks, you can catch them later on the vault if, you, if you're running out of time. But, but the exchange, the communication, the camaraderie is, is priceless. Exactly that, yeah. And the community is, it, I mean, last night I was at the, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, queer, transgender, I, I, I have to add them all, um, uh, party. And uh, it's, it's blown up. It's just grown so much over the years. And seeing that go from where I first went there, because my first GDC was 10 years ago this year, and, um, and they've been running that for a long time. But it's just growing and strengthening. And, and every year you just see that, that there's just more to learn from your peers and to see that it's, it's just, in, yeah, it's um, inspiring in all regards. And yeah, made me happy. Well, uh, we hope that you go out, meet more people, make new friendships, uh, and hopefully this has solidified ours, and we're all best friends now, right? Oh, yeah. Sure. Good. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Hello, and welcome back to One Life Left at GDC with Gamma Sutra. Um, we have a full sofa now. Really? Yeah, every, every now and then we like to squeeze a l just one more one on. More. Just see um, what happens. Hi guys. Uh, Hello. We've got the guys from Shut Up and Sit. Wait, I always get it the wrong way around. What are yeah, we doing? No, are we, no, what right. are we doing first? Are we shutting up and then we're sitting down. Shut up and sit down. There okay. we go. Don't worry. My mum gets it wrong as well. She still calls it stand up, sit down after all the years. <laughs> oh, oh bless. Um, and we're also uh, joined by Grace Carroll. Hi. Hello. Nice to be here. Um, and uh, where do you work, Grace? Um, I work at Creative Assembler in the UK on the Total War franchise. Excellent. Um, and what are you doing at GDC this year? Uh, well, I'm a social media manager, but I'm also representing the marketing team as a whole. So I'm just sort of trying to absorb all of the knowledge that I possibly can here. Uh, have you been going to any talks? Yeah, I've been to quite a few. Um, went to one this morning on the League of Legends user interface, which is actually really interesting. Uh, any other... Any other interesting talks that you've been to? Um, ARC um, Survival Evolved did one on lessons learned from being in early access, and they didn't shy away from addressing their controversial decisions, which is more interesting than if they'd sort of glossed over them. So that was really good. That's good. Um, and do you find that uh, going to talks uh, and big... Is going to talks a good thing? Does it inform your, your work when you get back? 
I think actually the most interesting talks are the ones not directly related to my work that I've actually got more out of in terms of like the overall message, like how teams work together, like how design can influence something else, things like that, that usually I don't get exposed to have been more lessons that actually turn out to be relevant. Whereas the direct ones are kind of a lot of, I kind of knew this, I'm kind of doing this, it's reassuring, but I'm not really learning anything. And as a social media manager, um, are you... Uh, are you communicating what you're seeing, what's going on here with your community uh, fr- from uh, from Creative Assembly? Uh, not currently, because I think that would be more our studio social media. But I'm sure they're going to see the results when I get back and just change everything to just throw everything I've learned in there. So what did you learn from the ARC situation? Because that's kind of an interesting situation, right? Is they put out a game, super, super successful, made some decisions. And I've read some of those Steam reviews, like, yeah. because... That's what I do to remind myself the world is a bad place. And, <laughs> and you know, it says at the top of the Steam reviews, played 6,290 hours, thumbs down, don't yeah, do it. Yeah, we get a lot of that in our yeah, game as well. <laughs> I'm sure. So did you learn anything from them in that talk about how to address that, how to... Yeah, well, they actually said that they don't... They get review-bombed ever so often, but to them, it's actually not the negative reviews. Like, they're a good idea for a community response, but they're not actually... You need to take them with a grain of salt. And for them, it's actually the number of players that are playing and staying in the game that they're more bothered about. So if they're getting a lot of bad reviews, but their CTU's going up, then they take that as a more positive indicator, right. which was a, an interesting idea. And they also have, like, a feature scorecard that they use now to decide how controversial something will be and if it's worth doing, which I thought was really interesting. I want us to do that when we get back. Uh, the shut up and sit down community seems the absolute opposite of some of the sort of traditional gaming, wasn't it? I sometimes read your site and I go, oh, that game sounds interesting. I go and click it and you've made it go out of stock because everybody's so enthusiastic about what you yeah. guys are doing. We, it's an exciting problem to have within the kind of physical game space that digital stuff obviously doesn't have at all. You can just keep more codes and not an issue, but things do sell out. We only actually review stuff if it's available and that is difficult because often we find that after a review things become unavailable in, in sometimes a number of hours yeah um, yeah I, it's, it's a crazy thing to think about but there are print runs of games that are less than 10,000 copies sometimes and it can be very good and the publisher decided because of metrics and money and supply they're like oh we'll make eight or nine thousand copies of these and they sell out and that's nice for them it's not so great for everyone else on the planet 9,000 board games is not very much for like Europe and North America and and Australia and everything. They take ages to reorder, don't they? And, and they still come over on ships and things because right. that's that's what they do. They yeah. stick on a ship days. and it goes. Uh, it's quite slowly. nice though. You get you means you actually get like different collections. It's not like with DVDs, you walk into anyone's house and they have like you know, Bad Boys one to three. Oh, you know what I mean? Like everyone has the turn around and walk straight out. (laughs) Not so much now, but definitely like five, ten years ago, everyone had the same DVD collection. Right. Uh, You know, um, and with board games, it's kind of nice because you, you, someone opens the cupboard and you go, "Oh, you've got this!" And you know, everyone has something which someone else doesn't have. It's kind of cool. So what? So what brings you over to GDC? What are you doing over here? We've got we've got an enormous shut up and sit down games lounge, which is on the third floor of the West Hall at the very top, and you cannot miss it because one, it's huge, and two, it's at the top of the escalator. So as you come all the way up, it's literally in your face. It's like a gauntlet we siphon people okay. into. And what, uh, what are you showing off? A bunch of stuff. We've got 10 games from the last year, basically. Uh, so what we try and do is we, we do two things. We offer a space for people to come and play games, uh, maybe just to check out some new designs, maybe just to unwind and have some face time with people and have a social time that's maybe, you know, not drinking based and in the day, chill out in the sun. 
I know, you could have a break from it at some point. <laughs> deal with that. Uh, but also, we kind of have this small, it's almost like a kind of gallery. Uh, of around the edge, we have 10 games from the past year that are all either really interesting designs in one way or another. We have a couple of things that are just there to grab the eyes of game developers being like, look at these pretty miniature things. But generally, what we try and do is have a bit of spiel next to each game to just try and give people an idea of some of the ideas and trends in board games. Just maybe as a bit of kind of side inspiration. Uh, for people to look at and take away with so what, what I mean, obviously, they're all highlights, but what would you, if we only had time to check out three, what would you suggest we played in the lounge this year? What's your favourite ball? I, I really, really like Inish, which is the, the Celtic uh, sort of Irish mythology game that is, it's got lots of wonderful art. It's got uh, lots of cool miniatures, little villages, little uh, clan people. It's not actually that complicated to learn. It looks lovely, and it's really interesting playing it and thinking about the stuff that you do in it. I also I haven't actually tried Mechs versus Minions yet, but I really like how that looks, and that is pulling people in. And that is a board game actually designed by Riot, famous for League of Legends. Yeah, what do so you like? Innis again for me is wonderful. Uh, I do love the the fact that it's kind of a war game that isn't a war game, and you sometimes want to go to war, but you can't, and you just have to sit there going ah. And the fact that wars can kind of start and then do not end until everybody there agrees that they're over. And so you, have, you might have somebody invade and everyone goes, oh, we've got to stop this, yeah? And you kill them and then everyone goes, whew, that's good, so the war's over. And other people might be like, actually, now we're having a war. <laughs> I, might, like, I might attack you a bit, which is kind of sweet. What else is great? I mean, Dolores is wonderful. It's a very simple game. It's a, it's a game where you're all pirates who've just basically murdered everyone on a ship and now you are getting all of the loot which starts off with a really wonderfully framed nastiness to begin with, which then allows you to screw each other over right from the start without anyone feeling bad. And it's basically a, a really interesting game because what they've done is just taken the game of rock, paper, scissors and like tweaked it slightly and, and with a couple of changes uh, made a kind of wonderful bluffing game about greed and, uh, and treasure and drowning. Grace, the expo floor is open. Have you had a chance to look around that at all? Um, I've had a look around the North Hall. I'm pointing as so everyone can... You know. okay. <laughs> that works. Um, I really like the alt-control GDC with all the students with their okay. unconventional controllers. What's the best thing you've seen? Oh, my gosh, I loved everything. Um, there's one where you get to be a cat DJ in VR and you have to wear a cat head. And you have to hit these mice while you're DJing. And there's one that's based on um, a bookcase. And you have to read a journal and solve the riddle to find the book that you need to progress. And, um, and there's a, have you seen The Fear Sphere? I have not seen The Fear oh, Sphere. It's, imagine a lot of black rubbish bags creating a massive thing that people crawl inside to play the game. So it's a game where you crawl into rubbish bags, which sounds like, you know, the, the end so, of a night out, basically. Sounds like a great British night out, yes. It does, it does. These poor students. I'm sure the game is not rubbish. Good. Uh, so, the, you know, we are over the halfway point of GDC now, sort of like uh, moving towards... How are you feeling? Slightly hungover. Yeah. He is. Um, to be honest, you, I know. You misbehaved yeah. last night, I heard. Oh, no, it's fine. <laughs> No, it's, it's been great, actually. Uh -huh. um, it's been really nice. We were really uh, thrilled that, that this year, for the first time, they had actually a board game design track on a Tuesday where we had a right. bunch of board game designers talking that, about that issues. And that was very well attended. It was very well we attended. a whole uh, day full of stuff, and we did a panel at the very end of the day. And, you know, even like half past six, everything closing down. Still quite a lot of people there. Yeah. And, I mean, I was really excited to the fact that when it did come to the point of talking about improving diversity in terms of people designing and producing board games, we had Eric Lang, who's a fantastic designer, actually say, well, look, 
you know, if you are a woman or a minority here who wants to talk about game design, come and talk to me. Yeah. And now we've had him since then. Every day he's sitting, he's got a table in our area where he sits for two hours and basically people just come and yeah. talk to him about design. So we had a lot yeah. of people doing that. That's so awesome. it's kind of been great to see both having this communal fun space where people are actually kind of moving away from the money of VR and insular headsets to sitting around having fun and also just a bit of progress. But hopefully. also it's about the sort of cross-pollination of having board games in a video game space and allowing both sets of designers to learn from each other as well. Absolutely. And I think it's fascinating that um, video games inspiration of design can be very, very insular and like mm -hmm. and circular. And there's so much interesting stuff going on in board game design that you look at this and go, these are fascinating ideas that video games are kind of just ignoring and we're starting to see them kind of paying more attention, but there's still a lot more. It's, it's like a wealth of ideas just to be there's, stolen. I think there's increasing cross-pollination happening, but, you know, there's so much... Board games are so good at making you do social things yeah. and things yeah. to do with personality and bluffing and incomplete information and deception and things like this. And they can be fantastic, All the best yeah. things! Basically. Yeah. I've, been, yeah. I've been banging yeah. the drum for the longest time about how there's so much overlap. In, you know, I, I write a lot about board games in my Gama Sutra column whenever I can because I think there's a lot that people can learn from them, even if they're just working on video games. There's some that are, are actually making something out of that cross-pollination. Australian game outfit uh, League of Geeks made this game called Armello, yeah. which is basically a board game as a video game and manages to use the best of both worlds to create a rather unique experience you know and it, it's that sort of thing that i think can come out of that that meeting of the minds that the next wave doesn't have to all be uh vr and you know shiny glossy technology but actually making the old new again there's a certain simplicity to board game design i think we call it elegance and something we talk a lot yeah. about an awful lot on shut and sit down um, of just having something being as simple as it can be. And it's very easy with video games to just obfuscate too far and go, oh, it's fine, we can have five different stats to measure strength because it, all the math is being done by the computer and people can get a bit lazy with the, the way that the kind of systems are designed. Whereas with board games, you can't afford that. And I think there's a lot to be said. I mean, like XCOM is one of my favorite video games of all time. You know, the, the remake, the, the new version that came out maybe 10 years ago now, I guess. But that was, you know, prototyped heavily as a board game. And you can tell because it's like the simple thing of being like, does 20 have to be 20? Can it be two? And sometimes that stuff is just so important. I've got one final question for you guys. Uh, obviously, the third floor, is that where you are? In yes. the West Hall? It's yeah, quite, quite high up. So there has to be, you know, beyond you, quite a drive to get us up there. So do you have any edible games up there? You know what? <laughs> Funny that you say that. We had a lady in the, the panel uh, that was on, on Tuesday talk about her edible game design. Is that Jen Sandercock? Uh, I think we it had might her be. on uh, yesterday. She opened up the game <gasps> and the smell. And you don't usually get this at a games conference. We all just went, oh, that smells lovely. <laughs> this oh. is it. And this was one of the things where she talked about how she had this edible game design. And we were like, that's great. And then the next day we saw her sitting down and having a meeting with Eric Lang and talking about it. And it's like, yes, edible were, games. Were they eating it? I don't time. think they were. I think, Missed opportunity. I think the problem with that is you can only show your prototype to one person. <laughs> uh, I'm so hungry now. I want to eat a game. <laughs> Uh, and Grace, do you have anything uh, else lined up for the rest of the week, or is it more more of the same, more talks? Uh, probably more of the same. I want to wander around and see the expo a bit more. And I know that I have a games workshop party tonight, so that should be an experience. I think we've all got parties to go to tonight. Um, stay hydrated, everyone. Uh, take care of yourselves, and thank you for joining us. Thank you.
Hello and welcome back to One Life Left at GDC with Gama Sutra. And here we have uh, joining us on our increasingly full couch, Nick Tringali, game designer, programmer and 3D artist at uh, Bithel Games. And Teddy Diefenbach, uh, designer, code heart machine and creative director at Square Enix Montreal. Bithel? Yes, the you work with the Bithel. The, yes, unfortunately. I've seen, we've seen, <laughs> I've seen. I've spotted Bithel swanning around. He's been around. He's swanning around, around, showing people um, stuff. I've seen him more often just on the street this so, week than. Yes. Did he? Did he warn you about us? Did he oh, talk no, to you? I don't. I'm not even sure if he knows that I'm here. To be we go way honest. back with Bithel. <laughs> we don't do go we? way back, and he said it's fine to tell us everything. Okay, like, yeah, great. Yeah, so are you working on his current project? Uh, yes, in a sense. Yeah. Okay, can you tell us all about it? Just everything. I, like, Sorry, yeah. Break, break all. That's the, as much as I know, unfortunately. Very good. <laughs> Very good. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Yeah, we, we, we basically just between you and us yeah. and the streamers and the listeners, uh-huh. we made Mike Bithell. Oh, really? Yeah. He's been with us on the way up, and he's been with us at the top, and he'll be with you on the way down. <laughs> So, uh, so it's be, good to have you on. What was made can be unmade, right? Well, exactly. <laughs> and we are excellent at our making. Oh. The making we still tend to work on, and we've got lucky with Mike. Well, I'm glad I got in on the ground floor of the... So what's it like? What's, what's, what, what are you working on? What's so uh, he released a game in uh, October, November, called okay. Earthshape, which is like a daydream VR thing. And then right. I was brought on to keep it updated and add on content. And then now I'm also doing... Pre, you know, various other things, pre-production, that sort of stuff on other uh, projects as they're being started up. Interesting. So, yeah. Is that uh, is this your first job in the industry or is it No. Um, so I've been doing independent stuff on my own okay. and then I've been a uh, 3D artist in not the games industry but as a professional for a little while. So yeah. says here you made a sci-fi text adventure. I did, yes. Okay. Uh, Sundogs came out in 2015. So Okay. Yeah. Uh, and Vienna Automobile Society. Yeah. That is a good name. Uh, thank you. Uh, it was a lot of fun to come up with the name. <laughs> okay. Um, was it fun to make the game? Because that usually is the problem for me. Like, the name's super fun. <laughs> Give me all day. The game itself takes ages. It's off and on fun. Yeah. Right now it's not fun because it's, it's in the nearly out phase, so it's all the boring parts okay. that, are, oh, that are no see. good. So yes. what, are you, what are you doing here at GDC? Is it to do with that or... Bithel or uh, a little bit of everything. Okay. Yeah. So just walk around and you know meet people and do and do some talks and a little bit of yeah. Okay. What's been the most inspiring thing that's happened to you so far? Present company accepted. Oh, of course. Um, I, I think the the all control GDC and the IGF Pavilion is all like the you know the best of the best of what's going on over the past year, and that's very good to go and play stuff that I haven't had a chance to see. What's the hygiene situation at the uh, alt-control GDC thing? <laughs> well, it's better than a few years ago when there was the licking game. Yeah. And so far, it's, I think it's been okay. There was a sand, there's a sand pit game where okay. I think they do a projection of some kind or another, like a depth I've thing. Seen, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, really and I, I don't want to put my hands How do you sanitize sand pits? Yeah, you just end up with mud, right? I and mean, I assume they have to irradiate it every day, so... That's so good. Uh, so, so, Teddy, I actually Hi. wanted to ask you, you were speaking on a panel called, or a session, Hyperlight Drifter, Secrets of Kickstarter, Design and Pizza. That's correct. So, tell us the secret of pizza. <laughs> Revealed at last. <laughs> it's good for you. Surprise. No, it's actually really bad for you. Um, yeah, we did. Uh, I had two talks. I've spent my whole GDC in a hotel room, uh, 
rewriting my talks. I had one Monday and Wednesday. So, um, so you're finally free. I am so free. <laughs> and we had the awards last night, and it was great. Congratulations, um, yes, by the congratulations. way. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes. Um, I attribute it to the long-time support uh, from One Life Left of Shove Pro. Yeah. I think so, that's I mean, what really... We've yeah. been there from the start. Yeah. Uh, and we'll be there say... at the end. Does this mean you're going to break me down soon? Is that what happens next? You, you've still got a little further to go up. Okay, now. I hope so. <laughs> uh, yeah, so congratulations on uh, which awards was it? We, you won, last we night? won the IGF Awards for uh, Best Visual Art and uh, Audience Award, Audience Choice. That's uh, it's great. Well, is, uh, is winning the Audience Choice Award quite special? Yeah, actually. I felt so. I mean, like you design games for people, so that's true. But a lot of people are idiots. That's true, but I, I was the majority not, not of the, the votes. Avoid, so, yeah. So, so <laughs> yeah. yeah, you've got to assume that's, that's good. We had you on the show last year as well. It would have been two, two years, years ago, because I, I missed yeah. GDC to ship. This is the second time well, I've made I don't that know, mistake. but he's clearly a draw. He's, he's brought his own groupies, his own isn't groupies he? Groupies I, I, we, we haven't <laughs> seen this yet. People waving. <laughs> and, hey, Teddy's here. Were you not on the show last year? I thought you... We missed GDC because we were shipping Hyperlight Drifter. Okay, right. Because we released like a week or two after GDC. doesn't it? So I remember you were on the show, and you were definitely... Definitely a little bit stressed about the game then, like yes. two years ago. Yeah. And so there was a year between that and the point that you stripped. Well, uh, like the, the, we were talking about the award after the show last night and yeah. what, what it, the reason that you get so much great stress for such a long sustained amount of time is that we started with a Kickstarter. So people liked the yeah. game when it wasn't even a game yet. <laughs> so we, it was just two and a half years of not messing up and not ruining it. Right. And we didn't, I don't think. <laughs> According to that award, at least. Hyperlight Drifter also has one of my favorite uh, special edition boxes. It comes with a SNES-style cartridge and all that. And I, I looked on the back, and it even has like the little sticker that's normally on SNES cartridges. Mm -hmm. It was really cute. It's really... I love it. We did it with IM 8-bit, and they handled everything. And we have a special teal, teal plastic, which mm -hmm. fits the palette of the game. So... I was very excited when we got the boxes. Nick, do, you, do, you, do, you, do you get a similar amount of pressure working with Bithel? Do you, do, you, do, you, do you feel it here? I feel like I'm maybe even shielded from it because okay, he gets, he he gets all, the, you know, all the fun parts and then I'm just below doing just doing work. Right. So, no, I don't know. I mean, it's... it's and, you know, as somebody who works on their own but also collaboratively, which do you prefer? I think it depends. You know, sometimes it's great to just have... So here, do this, and then I will give you feedback on a thing, and then you know it's good or it's bad. And then other times when it's just on your own, it's like, okay, great, I can do whatever I want, but no one is telling me if it's necessarily good or bad or not. So <laughs> it, I think it goes back and forth. There's such a relief to being playing the editor sometimes. Yes, yeah. Like I played that role a lot on Hyperlight too. It's just like, yeah. okay, what do you, what do you want, and then I'll I'll tell you whether it's going to work. Yeah. Um, and feedback is so much easier than the blank page. Yeah. I think all too much of one or the other can get. Mm not preferable I guess in some situations but no I, I enjoy it oh, and uh, once you've worked with Mike who, who are you going to move on to next oh I don't know I mean are you, are you hiring exactly that's good. <laughs> yes <laughs> okay great actually Square Enix Montreal is hiring I probably shouldn't say that <laughs> I'm very happy with hypothetically <laughs> anyone really yeah because <laughs> uh, yeah, you've moved uh, to well you literally moved to Montreal mm -hmm. but you, uh, you're now working at Square Enix there. I've, I've sold out as they say or, or sold of. in sold in yeah, yeah perhaps right yeah, I'm up We've there now. We've been trying to sell in for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we'll accept to sell out as well, but ideally in. It's a, it's an easy sell. Square Enix Montreal is only 37 developers, so as, as a Square Enix named company, it's surprisingly small. 
Um, it still has that tight knit feel. I yeah, my, my team is six people right now, oh, okay, and that's yeah, yeah. still smaller than Hyperlight was at its peak. So it's might a very be, comfortable it situation. It might be seven by the end of this show mm, if it goes yeah. well. Also, eight, nine, ten. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's your favorite part of Montreal? Oh, um, it's it's not the food. Montrealers love their food and they care about it very much, but I miss Los Angeles food, so it's not that. I find that Montreal is like is surprisingly ahead of a lot of like just culture feels like secretly culturally ahead. It's like the sleeper hit city where you get there and realize like everyone has like very interesting fashion that's just like others I don't I don't see from other cities. Um, very progressive culturally. Um, it's it's spectacular. And in LA, you set up a glitch city. Mm. Yeah, are you planning on doing anything like that in Montreal? Or do you think that it already has an established base there? They don't have a, a space quite like that. No. Um, there is the co-op, which are phenomenal developers. They're a little bit more of like a formalized studio. They make games together. Um, but it is something I'm interested in, and that was one of the first things I wanted to do when I moved was to get embedded into the independent game scene there as well. So it's very strong, like it doesn't need my help, but I, I would love to see a space come up that is similar to Glitch, yeah. Um, and do you have any other plans whilst you're there? Are you gonna, so you're going to embed with the indies. Mm-hmm. You're in Square Enix. What, Step what, two. Yeah. What next? <laughs> <laughs> my, my dream is to, is, to, is to buy a villa and then have people stay there. Have you been to Hearst Castle? No. Okay. <laughs> We've been looking for a, a Marioki host in Montreal for quite a while. So Have you? That could be our dream as well, Teddy. Okay. We'll support you. <laughs> this could be we'll the final build We'll keep pushing build up. you all of the way. Keep on the Chef Pro thing all the way. Push you all the way up. And we will not break you at all, assuming Until... we get invited out. Oh, I see. Once yeah, you get the castle, works. I mean, what else yeah. is left? Yeah. yeah. Good there point. no worlds left to conquer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brilliant, guys. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank Thank you you. very much. Thank you for coming. Welcome back to GDC 2017. We are One Life Left, a video games radio show that broadcasts from London. We're delighted to be joined by Gamma Sutra, Catherine from there. Hello. Thank you for helping us out this session. Uh, I think this one's going to be a little lively. Uh, We'll be joined by two new guests who've been um, already entertaining the crowds with uh, tales of money that they found. You'll be signing autographs before we know it. How's it going? Please introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Robin Arnott. I'm a... uh, I made a weird thing called Sound Self, which is like a a virtual reality psychedelic. Okay. And... uh, I was presenting a talk here at GDC called Designing a Trance, Game Design and Meditation, where I talk about just lots of stuff. <laughs> uh, maybe let's uh, come back to that. Uh, if, you, if you can just introduce yourself. Uh, my name is also Robin Arnott, as a coincidence. Actually, that's not true. <laughs> my name is Colin Northway, and I made well, My a... name is Colin Northway. Oh, <laughs> surprised we haven't met before. Uh, and so I, with my wife and some other team members, made a game called Fantastic Attraction. I was going to say, your, um, your notes are the most entertaining. It says, uh, husband and wife team, f- period, fantastic contraption. Yeah, that's accurate. Like, I was looking to the point. To, to the yeah. point. <laughs> exactly. yeah. uh, uh, so what brings you to GDC? Uh, we always come to GDC. We've been coming to GDC for the last eight or nine years. Uh, we like to hang out at the Independent Game Summit. Uh, you know, like... All us indies are all kind of friends together. There's a big community, so this is kind of a week, big week-long party where we all get to hang out. So, have you been talking today? 
Uh, not today. I had a talk on Monday and Tuesday in the VR Summit. Okay. Well, what were you What were you chatting about? Uh, I was talking about mixed reality. So uh, when you see, you kind of impose a human being inside of VR. There's a human being there. Hello? Right. <laughs> so imagine this human being. Yep. But then she's maybe got in her hand. She's got. If she's playing Fantastic Contraption, maybe she's got a cat. Okay. And you can I, see the, the cat in front of her. Yeah. And then behind her, maybe there's some nice rolling hills and. Uh, this sounds wonderful. Yeah. Make I'm, it. I, I love this. <laughs> I'm in my element. Right. And so uh, <clears throat> that was something that uh, we kind of invented and it's getting more and more popular. So giving a talk on that at GDC made sense. Okay. And uh, Robin, so designing a trance, what can you tell me about that? What does that look like? Uh, so video game designers, I think, are probably the most masterful trance designers in the history of humanity. It comes naturally to us. We, we really intuitively know how to put a person into a trance. And it's interesting to me, given how central trance is to the experience of playing a video game, that we don't really have a vocabulary for talking about trance itself. We have a vocabulary for talking about mechanics, for talking about engagement, but something more fundamental going on, this experience of trance, and what we can creatively use that trance to do, there's just not... That's, we don't really have that in how we talk about it. And so my, what I was trying to do with my talk was introduce the concept of trance, go into what actually happens to our minds, what it is to be entranced, mm -hmm. and then once we know that, how we can use trance... Is it, so, so do all games put, put players into a trance, would you say? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Creating a state of hyper-focus. Not necessarily. Um, trances can certainly have a quality of hyper-focusness, focusness, but trances come in, in many, many, many different varieties. Um, you could use trance to describe addiction. You can use trance to describe any habit. Uh, a trance is any way, any kind of autonomous, recurring internal process and all games do in some way lull us into these autonomous recurring processes which games do it best well it depends what you want well okay, so when you talk about trance I, I think of rest right yeah rest uh, is a very yeah, intensive game and um, uh, but I, you know I wouldn't think of Call of Duty or something along that but, but, but that's still doing it is it absolutely every game Every game here, so it's not a question of are we entrancing our players. We are entrancing our players. It's a question of how we're entrancing our players. What kind of trance we're giving our players. Well, and for yeah. those following along at home, this is about designing a trance meditation and game design. Yeah. Your talk. Robin, I've got a question for you. Please. I mean, maybe this would have been better off air, but we're here now. <laughs> uh, did you talk at Nottingham Game City a few years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting. I've wanted to thank you for something for quite a while. Oh, wow. Because you were doing the um, breakfast talks, weren't you? Yeah. You did a breakfast talk, and I was doing a breakfast talk as well, and I hadn't done any preparation. I was quite worried about it. I was quite worried. But the day before, you had been doing a breakfast talk. Yeah. And I believe you showed a severed head um, committing a sex act in a bathtub. Yes, I did. I did. <laughs> over breakfast. Yes. And so when I rocked up the next day, having done no preparation, <laughs> they were just relieved I wasn't doing that. <laughs> I was just showing pop music videos. So, 
so thank you. <laughs> also, Colin, um, Anne's boyfriend yeah. um, nearly smashed my uh, home up playing your game because oh, he's very yeah, tall. No he's very tall. Very tall. So thank you for that. Thank you both. Thank You're welcome. <laughs> we just like to bring guests to the sofa and thank them just, for, just thank you for things that have helped us, helped our lives, or. Or nearly ruined our homes. So when we talked, uh, I think we talked about Fantastic Contraption on the show last year, but not with you. I think with your wife. Oh yeah, with Sarah, that's possible. I think that's. I think. I think we literally did that, but it could have been two years ago because apparently time goes really quickly. Although Contraption um, didn't exist two years ago. So right. So that would let's frame it. Okay. Great. Last year. Um, so it's been. It's come out since then. And yeah, we're humans, out on, uh, real quick. humans. Yeah, we shipped on the Vive all super fast. It took about four months to get from like zero to like a video game, and then which is totally insane. How long? You're more uh, like four and a half four years. years. Yeah, <laughs> four months, four years. Uh, What's it been like though? Uh, seeing people's feedback, actually playing it without you in the room watching them. Um, yeah, it's great. Um, Fantastic Contraptions is a really creative game, mm-hmm. so it's more about uh, how people want to interact with the world around them and given the tools to do like creative build things that can move around um, what they choose to do with that uh, I really I like it best when people um, aren't necessarily playing towards a goal like it's a video game um, and it has to have a goal but that's kind of the only reason there is a goal and challenges there like uh-huh. I'd rather people could just kind of freeform play stuff Robin do you agree that a video game has to have a goal of course not. <laughs> uh, but, but I think Colin's no. pointing to something really wise and something that, that we know intuitively in, in this world, everybody here, and that's having a goal helps organize people's attention. And it's not the goal that matters. It's no, the of organization course. of attention. It's that push-off, because without that push-off of Minecraft saying, oh, you've got to survive for a night, people would be like, holy crap, what do I do? Whereas they get that one night, and once they get it, they're in there, and then they start building a huge penis out of blocks. Yeah, it's that weird like, blank canvas problem that yeah. people have. Yeah, yeah. Which is actually, I think, a really disappointing thing to have in a species. Is, <laughs> is this like, here's a tool that you can do like all of these amazing things with. What are you going to do? I'm like, oh, I'm going to walk away and get a banana. Yeah. That's so sad. Why do human beings do that? So goals are just basically cheating. They're just fooling the player into thinking they're being told to do something when actually we'd rather they did anything but that. Yeah, that, that's I think. I have a long metaphor involving unicorn horns about that. What's the best thing you've ever seen someone build in Fantastic Contraption? Uh, I'm still the person who has built the best thing. Okay. Oh. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> do you know, oh, I don't remember what his name is. I think he's Dutch and he makes, uh, you know, these big land walkers? And they're like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The they don't have pieces. any engines or yeah, anything, yeah. and they just set them on a, up on a beach, and like the wind blows them, yeah. and they all have all these giant legs. I can't remember his name. Right. Theo something. So I, a strand beast. He called them strand beasts. Okay. I'm sure listeners are like pounding, like, "Oh my god, <laughs> this is his name." Um, but yeah, I made one of those in oh, wow. Fantastic Contraption. And I was very proud cool. of that. Yeah, it was extremely And no one has rivaled cool. you. And you're checking YouTube every day going, still the best. Yeah, still yeah the best. pretty much. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, have a good rest of the show. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for having much. us. Good morning. Hello. And welcome. We're back at GDC. Uh, this is One Life Left. <laughs> it's the afternoon. I mean, do, yeah, see, I know Stop that this, lying. Is, this is having a, this week is having an effect on you. It's good afternoon. You asked me to kick off this section. Oh, and yeah, it is the and f- correctly. <laughs> Ooh. 
Good afternoon. Good afternoon, everyone. Good this afternoon is, to you. <laughs> this is uh, One Life Left versus GDC at Gama Sutra or something. The title is unwieldy. We don't right. even know what time of day it is. How are we supposed to get something like that right? I know. It's ridiculous. This is the final section of the show. We've had some good guests today, haven't we? It's a great guest. Save the best till last. It's Mitu and Michael. Hello. Hello. Oh, that's me. I'm Michael. <laughs> it's, yeah, it is, it's all right. It's the afternoon. Yeah, it's fine. We're all feeling a bit tired. Functional, but it's good. Where are you from, Michael? So I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I work at Shell Games, and I'm an engineer. So Shell Games. Yep. Uh, if you heard of Jesse Shell, that's well, his company. Interesting. Uh, interesting that you say that. We had. Uh, we were due to have Jesse on the show on Tuesday. We were. No show. Didn't show up. Ooh. However, I think I know why that was. Okay. So um, we had him on the show last year. So yeah. that's, that's reason enough. But also, uh, at the end of the show last year, I was like, I've got something to show you, Jesse. Called him over and opened up the Marioki laptop. Uh, because uh, we do this thing called Marioki where we write pop songs about video games. All right, all right. And, uh, and we have and a song. And you'd left the browser open. We have a, so yeah. <laughs> and we have a song that uh, one, of our one of our contributors had written uh, to the tune of Highway to Hell about... Hi to Jesse Shell. And the song itself is about encountering him at a conference and just saying hello to him. And I think he was flattered, or I thought at the time he was flattered. Right. Well, uh, Mike, we've got the song here for you. <laughs> just, uh, so if you wouldn't mind, Mike, the uh, lyrics just, are going to come up here. If you wouldn't mind singing it. No. <laughs> no. no. I could give it the old college try, but... <laughs> Tell, uh, telling story through sound, building an interactive air quotes, radio, radio play. Yeah, so I was working with the sound person, Bonnie Bogovich, and we made an audio adventure game using the Amazon Echo. So it's entirely audio-driven, and the only way you can interact with it is by using your voice. So you basically have a delightful conversation with your little speaker sitting in your living room, and we tell you a story about Sherlock Holmes and you investigating the sordid streets of Victorian era London. That's super interesting. I, presumably there are technical challenges in dealing with that as well. A few technical challenges. It's quite interesting actually because uh, Bonnie she is a she's a big fan of radio plays so sort of classic Orson Welles War of the World so she wanted something that was using voice acting theatrical drama fully effects and draw people in and one of the challenges there was the Amazon Echo is sort of designed not to be for long experiences. So it's like, how do we chunk up the story into 90 seconds at a time and still keep players engaged? And that was sort of my challenge, is figuring out how to work the story, build the narrative branches, and implement the audio detection. Do you think that we'll see these audio, device, audio devices as sort of serious gaming uh, platforms? I've not heard of yours. I had been playing the, um, the open door. The magic the door. The magic door. Yeah, that's a, that's a quite popular one. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, once you get over the, um, the, the, the sort of strange feeling of talking clearly to this, uh, to this thing that sits in the corner of your kitchen, uh, it's actually a really engaging way to play. It, it really does feel like sort of fi you sit next to a fireside and you get to relax and listen to hopefully a really talented voice actor relay a narrative to you in person. And, you know, Magic Door, there's one called Wayne Investigations built off of sort of investigating the murders of Thomas and Martha Wayne from Batman v Superman. 
So, and the popularity of smart speakers, you have Amazon with the Echo, but Google's jumped in now with yeah. Google Home, and the sales have actually doubled in the past year, and people are starting to integrate into all sorts of devices. So we feel there's a lot of opportunity here for writers and sound designers to jump in and create adventures for people. Also, we haven't given a chance for Mitu to introduce herself and Hello. all the awesome things she's doing. Mitu Kandako Kokoris. Uh, me. You were at, you're at Tiniest Shark and also building now our robot overlords. Is that, that correct? That is true, yes. So uh, I have recently, uh, well, we just like un, uh, unstealth moded, if, I guess if, if that's a word, um, uh, Spirit AI. So I'm chief creative officer there. So that's the shirt I'm wearing. I'm not a CA. It was just a yeah, <laughs> really awesome thing that, yeah. where we went, turned up and we were wearing the exact same shirt colors as CAs. Nothing against CAs, but yes, it was just one of those. Turning up to the party wearing the same outfit as someone else moments. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so uh, I make indie games. I um, have co-founded this AI middleware company. Uh, I'm also a prof professor at NYU. So. And uh, so you're busy in your regular life and you've been very, <laughs> very busy here as well. Yes. You've been doing a phenomenal number of talks. Yeah. Can you just like... It might take the rest of the show, but can you just run through what they were? What's right. our record so far? It's three, I think it? our record is three, three yeah. Three. Poultry three. I am involved in five talks. Uh, I'm feeling slightly broken at this point in the week. I've still got one talk to go. Uh, so the talk tomorrow, and this is the one I'm most excited about, I'm hosting the first ever advocacy track micro talks. Um, so we've got some really great speakers on that. Um, so we've got uh, Anita Sarkeesian, uh, we've got Imre Jelly, uh, we've got... Um, uh, lots of people who I cannot remember now because I'm completely <laughs> broken from the week. But uh, I've been doing all kinds of talks. I've been uh, talking about sort of the AI stuff that I've been doing, both in an indie sense and uh, in terms of this middleware that we're making. So uh, if I can just like talk about that for a second. Um, so basically, we are building middleware tools to make games more uh, accessible and engaging in different ways. So firstly, there's uh, this character engine that we're making, which is about making it easy for narrative designers and writers to write AI-driven characters. So you don't have to like do programming, etc. You can sort of write characters who are very uh, responsive and dynamic, and you can talk to them either through like natural language, you can like type at them, they know what you're saying. You can speak to them in like virtual reality games and walk around them and they understand like where you're standing in relation to them and will respond appropriately. So it's super cool. It's a little bit Westworld. Um, and, uh, and the other thing we're doing using some of that same technology um, is uh, building a tool to detect online harassment in games. So that's something I'm super passionate about. Yeah, Spirit about. has a wonderful demonstration set up with this uh, android that you're talking to yeah. who's accused of a murder and you have to uh, talk to her to understand what's happening. Have you played it? I have, yes. Oh, you sneakily played it. Yes, I did. Okay. Yeah, it was quite fascinating. Is this, uh, is this here? Yes, yes it's, it's here. Okay. So you have to basically type out in natural language in your own words questions and queries and find what conversation topics might lead to other things. It reminds me a bit of the AI in uh, Event Zero, right. which was at IGF, which also the whole point of that game is that you've got an AI on a spaceship that you're talking to and communicate with it through this like Apple IIe style interface. You mm -hmm. have to type to it. So it's fascinating to see that now you're developing that sort of thing for a wider array of developers. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the demo that we've got on the stand is one that we um, have been working on uh, in collaboration with um, with Bossa, actually. Um, so uh, 
and that's sort of the, an example of like you know as you say it's like one character in a room and you're trying to have this like deep uh, conversation with them and like really explore kind of their agenda um, and what they're all about uh, but that's only like one like one instance right you can also have these characters in like I don't know like an MMO with like tons of characters and they like share knowledge and um, will respond differently based on the things that you've done or haven't done and the things you say to them so it's like yeah endless possibilities and I'm super excited about it yeah and you're really into procedural generation right so how does that play into how these AIs are developed does that play into like how their text is generated right so um Yes, uh, so we've got um, some really great people working with us on the team. So I'm super excited that Emily Short is like the product manager for this character engine. She's done amazing work in that space. Uh, and yeah, certainly, so there's, you know, there's uh, text, like, well, speech generated based on sort of what the NPC thinks is most appropriate. So it basically improvises on like a script that you've written. Um, and also about the things that it knows about the world. So, like I said, it's a little bit Westworld. So it's about like coming up with just new things that this character says based on what uh, its own agenda is and what you've said to it. Mike, do you think we're going to start seeing AI uh, come into these audio games? It could definitely happen. So it's quite interesting you brought up the idea of procedural generation because one of the things the Alexa Amazon Echo offers is the text-to-speech synthesis. Right. So integrating a procedural narrative generation with that text-to-speech, which has improved quite a bit since it originally started, mm-hmm. where it was very robotic and I cannot emote, but now you can add emphasis, you can add different, not quite intonations, but a little more character. And over time, hopefully they roll out different approaches, different styles of voices. And that, that might be something, like especially for writers could be a really awesome tool to create these sort of stories. Yeah, no, I mean, with, with our system, you can plug in any text-to-speech. So we've got one we use by default, but... Look at yeah. you here, networking. Yeah. Are you going oh, to yeah. use Mitu's middleware? Oh, I'd love ah. to I'd love to uh, share some Excellent. information and get some... New learn customer. about your <laughs> middleware. <laughs> we've really brought people together today, haven't <laughs> we? We've got someone a job. Yes. Well, this nice. is what GDC is about, it is. isn't yeah, it? Exactly. Well, we're, we've still not we've still not got any offers, have still we? Here. But we're still we're doing okay. Um, thank you guys for coming on the show so much. It's been such a good ending to what's well, been an excellent show, I think today. It's a very yeah. very good show uh, today. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with more great guests, and it's the last day. Last day tomorrow. It feels like we've barely begun. Stay um, hydrated. Yeah, great. And yet all equally feels like we've been here forever. Forever <laughs> and ever. So, uh, yes, so we'll see you tomorrow, 1pm uh, to 2.30 with uh, more excellent guests. Uh, join us then. Bye. 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 Thank you.